if the bank plays the role of an educator in money and finance, it, it will be able to build trust. If you build trust among your members and customers, you can retain them. They will be with you. They will refer you. They will encourage other people to join your bank. Listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to episode 137 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Arundam Nag to the show. Arundam is helping financial services industry embrace financial literacy as part of just overall customer engagement because he's the chief executive and co-founder of Sensei.com. Now, I'm a big believer in empowering and elevating others through education. In fact, education is a core part of our business model here at the Digital Growth Institute. And there's really no bigger, no more important topic when it comes to education than to provide education for consumers around money. That's because money, it impacts all parts of our life. It impacts our health. It impacts our wealth. It impacts our happiness, our relationships. And I believe that when you can transform someone's wallet, you really can truly begin to transform their entire life in all of these different areas. And more often than not, that transformation must begin with training. It must begin with education to help the unaware become aware of what the possibilities of an even bigger, better, brighter future look like. So with that, welcome to the show, Arundam. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Jim, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be on your podcast. Before we get into talking financial literacy, financial education, financial wellness, financial empowerment, I always like to start off on a positive note. What has been good for you personally, professionally? It's always your pick. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think, number one, I personally survived COVID. Uh, I probably had the, one of the worst experiences among my family members. My whole family was down with COVID, but I was in bed. Literally, I was literally running the company horizontally for almost six weeks. Wow. March and April. I was in the hospital twice. So I'm glad. I'm grateful that I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you upright. I can do all the normal things right now. But again, if I may take the opportunity, COVID is real. Those of you who are still not vaccinated, please get vaccinated. COVID is real. It's painful. On a professional front, I would say that we launched two products, one for the school kids and one for financial services sector exactly 11 months ago. And we didn't realize, despite the COVID, that we will actually come through and be where we are today. Like we have paid clients, people are using us, people like Pat is getting a good response from the marketplace. So overall, I would say, while in many, we did have challenges, but I'm grateful for the last 11, 12 months. Yes. And I think it's always looking for the positive. And, you know, it's so funny. You mentioned your, your COVID experience. My family, we came down with COVID. And and, and I, I will tell you, I was sitting there 
and probably had like a 102 degree fever and just feeling really, really horrible. But I kept thinking, this is just a moment in time. I've got so many more things that I want to accomplish, so many more people that I want to help. So I didn't get trapped in that present moment. I was really living in, in my mind in the future of all the other things, even this conversation, right? It's just, I enjoy doing this podcast and learning from 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 people like like yourself. And, and, I, and I want to talk about like, Getting up to this point in just your own personal journey, what's what's the inspiration? What's the purpose behind launching this? Uh, because it's important work. It's it's meaningful work. Can can you provide some perspective of of just the whole purpose that you're working towards here? Sure. So, so I think uh, I would say it goes back to two seminal events in my life. One was uh, as a 17-year-old when I was growing up in Calcutta, uh, I had the privilege and the honor for spending some time at Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity. And it was voluntary work, just like, you know, most many of my classmates did it. I did it too. I just spent a little bit more time there. And I saw many people fall off the wagon. There were, I saw poverty. I saw people who had a lot in their lives earlier, but for whatever reason, could be famine, could be bad decisions, addiction, they were homeless and they were dying, you know, almost dying of hunger. Yeah. So I, I, I instantly knew the value of respecting money, respecting wealth. But fast forward, as I grew in my financial journalism career, writing about people, talking about people, understanding economics and how countries and nations and how the policies interacted with each other, along with the corporate world, I realized that a lot of financial decisions were taken by companies and policymakers that impacted day-to-day lives of normal people. But when it came to financial literacy, the normal people were way behind. And I saw that firsthand when as a writer for Dow Jones and Wall Street Journal in 2007, 2008, I was covering the credit crisis. And I realized that while it was very fashionable to blame Wall Street, but the real problem was lack of financial literacy. And it was a systemic problem. Yeah. And that's, that's what uh, triggered the thought that I, sh- I, would, I do want to do something. Yeah. And it's, it's easy. It's easy to blame others. I think that once again, if we're going to talk about transformation, once we take responsibility for ourself, our, and, and, and money, money runs deep, right? Like it, it comes back to family of origin. It comes back to environment. It comes back to the beliefs and the relationships that we have. You, you talked about the, the challenges, the systemic challenges, and they, they do run deep. Where in your mind are those challenges rooted first and foremost? So I, th- I think uh, number one is, is the H word, hyperbole. So, and I see it repeating time and again. I mean, it was, uh, today we are talking about crypto. People are saying, oh, crypto is hot. A lot of people are making you know, money in crypto. I should also jump into the fray. A year ago, I remember around this time, we had this very unfortunate incident where a young 19 or 20 year old took his own life because he was trading on Robin Hood. Yes. That's what his peers were doing, but he did not know anything about how the options market worked. Yeah. So and then if I go backwards, I remember having this conversation with my landlady. She said, oh, I have a second home in Miami and I don't know what to do because the value of it has has fallen a lot. So I asked her, how much mortgage do you have on it? And she said, well, 
I actually got 100% mortgage, but on the day of signing my mortgage papers, I was t- I was even offered another extra $10,000 for renovation. Mm. And I asked her, why did you do that? And she said, well, I was promised that property prices in my block has is always going to increase by 7% every year. So then I asked her that, look, if the GDP of America is growing by only by two and a half, three percent every year, and your property is growing by seven percent every year, then in theory, fifty years later or hundred years later, the value of your home will be more than value of the United States, right? And then she heard me and said, "Oh yeah, when you put it like that, you make a lot of sense." So the simple thing that asset prices don't go up forever. Yep inflation rate you cannot borrow and spend all the time those are some of the basics that i think are key challenges that an average american has to face day in and day out it's funny you talk about the home i can't remember if it was rich dad poor dad or if it was the millionaire next door but one of the 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 big lessons was you never look at your home as an asset that's one of the most dangerous things to, yeah. that i think people do and you're, you're touching on to that point right now uh when we look at, at just the relationship that people have with money and some of the challenges is it educational is it relational is it a mix of both what what's your take because you've been writing and thinking yeah. and doing this for a long time no you're right and i think i think it's a combination of both but let's talk about the education first so because that's where it all starts right yep. i mean if, if you don't have the right education you're not properly trained if you're not properly trained then you're not able to come to terms with the challenges that life throws at you so and this is the came out from the research that that me and my co-founder doria uh, when we came together and we started looking around why are people financially illiterate, for lack of a better word? And we realized that it was not taught the right way. So it's like a lot of people say, I'm bad in maths. No, you're not bad in maths. You just had a bad maths teacher in grade five. So you're not bad in finance, just that you're not being taught finance the right way. So that's the first challenge. The second challenge is certain things you society and our policymakers have to make it compulsory. Like, just like you have to study STEM classes in your middle school, high school. You cannot pass high school without some knowledge in reading, arithmetic, and basic languages. You have to, you know, you have to be able to craft a sentence. Similarly, you have to be able to know how to balance a checkbook, where the money comes from. Now, question is, why? Well, from the age seven or eight, you're pretty much asking your parents for your pocket money. Can I buy candy? Can I buy a toy? That's when this, it's a, that is a starting bell for training your kid that money does not grow on trees. Yes. And that's the basis. And that's what we need to work on. So that's why there's a lot of importance. We at Sensei and other people who, who think like us, they're paying attention to personal finance for kids, children, teenagers. And, and when, you, when you talk about kids and children that's the best place to start and i know you're doing that you're going into schools you're working with financial brands to bring this into a community because the curriculum is lackluster at 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 best and here's a question for you is it ever too late for someone to start learning about financial well-being is it is it is it ever too too late to help someone say maybe even transform their relationship with money by the time they they reach their twenties or thirties or 
are those habits, those beliefs already ingrained? What's your take on that? So uh, I would say it, it is never too late. You can always learn how to do it. But right now, we are also living in a time when you're like, if you are, if you had bad financial habits all your life, and if you're one year away from retirement, and you have no savings whatsoever, then we have a problem. Then maybe it is too late, but then we may have to think about alternatives about, can you delay your retirement? Can you sell any of your family assets? Can you sell any of your assets? Can you downsize your home? Can yeah. you uh, can we plan out the drawdown of your social security? But broadly speaking, even if you're 45, 50, and a lot of people are in those situations today because they have either gotten divorced or the pandemic, they've lost their businesses. So it is never too late to have to embrace strong financial habits, but you have to understand what are the pain points you are trying to tackle. Yes. Yes. And once you identify the financial pain points, it is much easier to find answers and then you can go with the flow, but it'll be a much more structured flow. This is why I see there's such a strong correlation between financial financial well-being and physical well-being, financial well-being and, and mental well-being, because it's it's all interconnected here. I'm even hypothesizing that the the we've we've had the covid crisis and but but really i think there's a much deeper crisis that's going to be at play over the next 5 10 15 20 years which is the 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 financial crisis but not like the 2008 like the 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 epidemic toll that financial stress is has and will continue to take on people on their health. I mean, stress is the number one reason people go to the emergency room. Um, you know, and, and and that stress it just it just really will destroy the the body. We're not designed to be in a, a constant state of you know stress and tension. One of the things that that you note, and it's it's on, it's on your website. It's on the about page. Taking the fear out of finance. I really connected with that because of a lot of the, just the research that we've done around this subject. And I'm curious to get your take. What are the biggest fears that hold people back from learning about money? Yeah. And I think that, and that's a very good question because I remember, so let me answer this question with an anecdotal story. Uh, a few years ago, this uh, young friend of mine, she was an editor uh, at the Dow Jones Wall Street Journal Group, and we were talking about money, finances, and I think she was newly married, maybe like 18 months, two years, and there was this massive crash in the stock market. And she just blurted out saying, oh, I hope, uh, I think her husband's name was uh, Rick, said, I hope Rick has, you know, knows what he's doing because, uh, you know, he takes care of all of our finances. And I asked her, do you know uh, where your 401k is? And he said, oh, no, I don't know it. I don't understand it. So Rick takes care of it. Mm-hmm. And I was scratching my head that this is a smart woman. She went to Stanford University and she understands she studied history. But her education, which was liberal arts, almost put an automatic barrier in her mind that numbers are hard, finances yeah. Hard, And in the reality, if you have the right educational content engagement, and if she was exposed to that, and this is the problem that Sense is trying to solve, then probably she would have been able to be in a much more firmer ground. Mm. And, that is, and that is a problem with a lot of people. A, it's numbers. 
money is managed by smart people on Wall Street. Hence, I am not, and I'm not smart enough. So hence, I should not be understanding. And it's the conversation around money that they refuse to have because they believe they are at a disadvantage. It's almost like trying to get a kid to get into the first swimming class. Yes. Just, dive, just dive in and you will be able to figure it out. Yes, you, you may need some handholding by the coach or the lifeguard. But after that, it is not difficult. So a lack of clarity leads to a lack of confidence. A lack of confidence leads to a lack of conversation. Absolutely. I think a lot of times the conversations that we need to have begin with yeah. ourself. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. That, and that makes a, that makes a lot of sense right there. And from when you think about financial education, particularly from the lens of banking, I, I know banks, credit unions, they've dabbled in this probably for the past 10 years, it's been a, a, a part of the macro level conversations, but I, I, I want to get your take on this. What, what is one of the common beliefs when it comes to financial education from the lens of banking, from the lens of, of, of credit unions, what is a common belief that others might have that you just disagree with? Where might they be falling short right now? So I think at a very strategic level, I don't think uh, it, it occurs to many banks. And I'll give you an example. I, I was having a conversation with a CEO of a credit union somewhere in the, in the, I would say, not on the West Coast, but somewhere in the middle. And I asked him directly how relevant is important is financial education for your members. And his answer was not very relevant. I don't believe in it. And I think I still have those messages in my email interaction with him. And, but that's the microcosm of how many credit union CEOs or banking CEOs, they still have those ideas that I am the banker. I know best. I will teach my customers what they need to know. Mm. That tone at the top has to change. Yes. That tone at the top has to change. I mean, what people need to embrace is, if you do not play an active role in financial literacy among your credit union members, you are not managing risk properly. It has to be part of your risk management solution. Because, yes. and why? Because it does not take too long for all of a sudden for a prime customer to become subprime customer. All that you need to do is put in a, be in a financial situation where you're skipping three loans or three payments, right? So that needs to be acknowledged. Technology has transformed our world and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans 
and deposits. Now back to the show. You share that story. I've, I've, I've heard the same thing. And I think story, I think story is an important part of this. And I know story is, is even big with what you're bringing to bear in the marketplace because story is what connects people together. Story is what it, it binds us. It bonds us. And I literally, literally just had a conversation, uh, CEO in the banking on digital growth program, their entire leadership team is going through learning together and they just went through a module, uh, around story selling and understanding story archetype and narrative. And he, his comment was this, he goes, I've never really thought of us as being a helpful guide, an Obi-Wan Kenobi, a Mr. Miyagi, but it was like this light bulb moment. It went off. And I think it's that, that mindset transformation when you think about story and narrative, how are you utilizing this as your part of just go to market? Because it's not just the numbers and sense, it's the stories behind the stories. What's your take on narrative here? So one thing that we do believe in is that uh, economics, now economics is a dangerous word because economics can kind of triggers. You're scaring me with economics because economics uh, in college one and two I hated those classes, barely scraped by with the D, and I was just happy to get out and get to the other side. Yep. Yeah, no, no you're absolutely right. I mean, like, I mean, I, I give this example to people is that, look, I can talk to you about rate of inflation and why inflation happens, et cetera. Or I can say, hey, why do you, why do you think you ended up spending more money this summer on your gas and food bill? The second question, you are actually engaging more because you actually have an answer. You actually will probably, someone will actually say, well, I paid more on gas because it just went up. There were more cars. The people were traveling more and I paid more on food. Now, you know this as probably better than I do, that we are going through a supply chain absolutely. crisis. Look at lumber. And Yeah, absolutely. And in, in the UK, for instance, which is almost my second home, I mean, I, I grew up there. And in the UK, people are running out of oil at the petrol stations because there are not enough drivers uh, to drive trucks. My wife is Lebanese and has family in Lebanon, and the same thing. They've been out of power. Yeah, food, power, oil. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's definitely supply chain disruption. And I think uh, again, it's also happening because of free because of the lack of free flow of labor because mm. of the pandemic and the restrictions. And at some point, people will have to ask themselves, and again, this is part of economics, but if you're restricting movement of labor and cap and other services, then the impact that it has on day-to-day life, and that's part of financial wellness as well. Yes, yes. When you think about financial wellness through the lens of a community institution, a bank, a credit union, what are the biggest opportunities that you see available for them to, in fact, make this a key part of their future growth strategy? You mentioned risk profile, but let's go deeper there. What are the big opportunities to go beyond of, ah, it's not that important to, this is core to our purpose? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think at a high level, first of all, uh, trust. And this is, again, ingrained in the tenets of biology. Yes. Can- Kids trust their teacher. Kids trust their parents. Now, trusting parents 
we can easily establish because they're looking after you. But why does a child trust his or her teacher with no blood relation? Well, my teacher said so. Why? Because they are learning from the teacher. If the, if the bank plays the role of an educator in money and finance, it, it will be able to build trust. If you build trust among your members and customers, you can retain them. They will be with you. They will refer you. They will encourage other people to join your bank. So from a high level, it is a, almost a strategic, it should be a strategic mission to provide education. But beyond that, when you dig deeper, you want to better understand your customer. And the only way you do that is better communication. You foster deeper communication. And communication can be broken down into a couple of things. One is you're educating, having, and then you're having a, a back and forth exchange as well. But overall, the end game is that every time you're having a meeting or an interaction with your customer, the customer is enlightened. Yes. An enlightened customer is always good for business. They're, they're, they're going away smarter. We're leaving almost like we're leaving the, the world. We're leaving a person better off than what we found them. And it's, it's, it's good to hear you talk about trust because in a recent keynote that I gave uh, over in the Middle East, one of the things that I had talked about was this idea of trust in my opening statements. And I posted this on LinkedIn. So I'm going to read this verbatim because it was a conversation that followed that, that, that keynote. I said, I touched on truth in a bit of my opening remarks as trust is the currency in which we will trade and do business in a digital world. And this truth of trust transcends all borders. It transcends all cultures. It's just how we first, number one, establish, and then number two, maintain trust, which which really must happen long before someone walks into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. It's it's that. That right there, I think, is going to be the biggest transformation that we need to have conversations around because trust must be established way before even a human relationship is established. And you think about, like, like you use your teacher example. I'm going to use healthcare too, right? Um, I think, once again, healthcare and money, a lot of, of, of similarities. When I get sick, where's the first, first place that I go? Where's the first place that you go? When we, go to, we go to Dr. Google, the worst place that any of us could probably go because, yes, we have all of the knowledge available at our fingertips, but it's like, oh, my gosh, I type in my symptoms. I'm going to die tomorrow. And then we come to our senses and like, no, I, I need to call the doctor. And it's because they have that context that provides additional level of clarity through yeah. the conversation. I want to touch on that, that conversation, because you've, you, you've got financial literacy, financial education, financial well-being. I think really to tie all of this together is a coaching aspect too. Because that's it's the it's through the coaching that's where the big behavioral transformations can take place. Because I can get all the knowledge in the world, but unless I change my behaviors, my actions, my habits, yeah. I'll probably be in the same place. What's your thought on coaching playing into this whole dichotomy of of financial education, financial? Yeah, and, and I think uh, coaching in general. See, uh, people, uh, I, I think we've already accepted the fact that adults don't like going back to the school. So if you say, okay, you know, let's set, up some, set aside some time, let me coach you, very few people will show up unless they're going through a pain point. Uh, 
So I think I think the first step that we need to establish is can there be a few you know players or a few people who make it their business that they will be available whenever there's a pain point that comes up. So at at our company at Sensei, some of our content is crafted in a way. It is not just a story. It actually uh, zero ins on a financial pain point. So an example could be that you are 45 years old, you have two children, you're getting a divorce. Mm. Now, at that state of mind, you want to be coached, but you want to be ready for coaching. How do we ensure that you are ready for coaching? So the, the, the relationship and the trust between the person who's going through that pain point and the education provider it could be your your organization, my organization, or a partnership manifested through a bank. So you're talking about your financial advisor or your banker uh, or your financial planner getting close to you, feeling the pain and the sentiment, having either from experience with dealing with other clients, yeah. making it more real. And I think what needs to happen, and we are seeing this change among some people, like there are actually a group of uh, financial advisors, they're in their late 30s, they've broke, broken away from the Wells Fargo's of the world and other big institutions, because they realize that their framework they were working is not really flexible enough. So when I have a conversation with a couple of people, one of them is, is our client, she actually focuses on uh, women who are in their late 30s, have gotten a divorce, and they don't know what to do. Yep. So so it was more pain point driven. Not, that's a great not, point because yeah. the, the desire to transform must be greater than the desire to remain the same. And a lot of time oh, totally. it's, it, it's the pain. Yeah. And I think, I think I, once again, I'm going to come back to the health example. It's, it's like I go to the doctor, doctor says, you need to make these changes or you're going to die or you're going to have these, these, this, this pain. So then what happens? Then I go to the gym and then I get a gym membership, but my behaviors don't change. So what do I do? Then I get a trainer who is that expert who's then showing me what to do, helping me establish and build new habits. So I, it's, it's a great point about identifying and maybe even somewhat to a degree and you got to do this very sensitively and with a good heart but maybe press on some of those pain points too because i think sometimes people don't know what's hurting them um it's about helping the unaware become aware of of where that pain could be because they could be have been living in a situation or a state of mind for so long they just lack that clarity and it's through the education now that yeah. we can bring that that clarity to bear in the marketplace. If I'm a bank, if I'm a credit union, and I'm listening to this, and I'm like, yes, Aaron Dom, I, I get it. I want to do this. I believe in this. But I don't have the buy-in yet from my organization from the top down to the bottom up. What are the roadblocks that you have seen that the dear listener needs to be aware of to first and foremost – address and then number two overcome and how could they do that i would say so people people talk about marketing right and i think uh, uh, what we haven't seen happening over the last few years despite a lot of reasons to do this is making education as part of your marketing strategy mm. and some of the people so i give an example to people of uh, some of the financial uh, institutions 
in the fintech community who have done have been able to connect better with the consumer than the traditional financial institutions. So an, a good example would be people like Wealthfront or Stash and there are a couple of other platforms. Why is that? Because we're seeing the same thing as the fintech who's really, yeah. I would say, closer to the consumer, more intimate. Yeah. Why yeah. is the fintech there, but not the financial brand who's been around for 50, 100, 150 years? I think it's also because fintech in general are focused on the pain points more than the financial institutions. Great point, yep. And uh, a lot of people, they are, some of the people, mind you, they have come out from the banking institutions, they've come out from, uh, you know, engineering or software companies, and they have seen the pain points themselves. And yes. most of the, many of the fintechs, mind you, are built upon a problem. Or well, I saw this problem when I was a banker. I saw this problem when I was a broker dealer. So, or I have this problem myself. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to do something about it because I know there's hundreds of thousands or millions of other people who have that same problem. Yeah. And it's, I would say it's an entrepreneurial mindset at that point. Yes. And and I think some of these companies, the fintech companies in particular, they have done a better job. And I think what has to happen even in the traditional financial institutions is that they will have to find ways to get closer to the customers, but understand their pain points. I mean, I mean, I'm a, account holder in a, in a big bank and this bank is notorious we have a business account there and we may shift actually at some point but this uh, business account business bank even during the pandemic they were charging 34 dollars every time people went into overdraft i'm like you know your ceo goes on television and talks about how he cares about people but i mean who are you hurting i mean Exactly. So these are some of the things that we will have to address at a ground level. Aaron Dunn, this has been such a fantastic conversation. As, as we wrap up here, I want to get really, really practical for the dear listener. I always like to send them off with something actionable that they can apply to move forward to make progress. And a lot of times it's a very small recommendation because all progress begins with a very small, simple first step. When it comes to deploying financial education, financial literacy as part of the overall, we'll call it just experience. What's the very first step that you would recommend the dear listener take on their journey here? Start with the simple. Ask yourself whether you need something or you want something. Need versus wants. And that's the very primal, I want this, but do you really need this? The other day, my daughter, who's in college, rings me up because she was in a Best Buy and she saw this great vacuum cleaner by, you know, by Dyson. I said, okay, but how much does it cost? Oh, it's $400. I said, listen, you do not need a vacuum cleaner that costs $400. You live in a dorm room, you don't need it. And you know, she, real, she said, well, dad, I was just trying to see if you would say yes, because I know you love me. And then she laughed. So it's this very basic thing, yes. need versus want. A lot of people don't need a lot of things. And that's an opportunity to A, to save. That's an opportunity to save for a rainy day, for your retirement, for your right. kids' education. And even from the internal perspective well of a financial brand, um, do we need a financial literacy, financial education program, or do we want? I would say we need something like this because it is critical for our future growth. It is critical for the growth of people in the communities that we're serving and and if someone wants to continue the conversation the dialogue discussion that we've started here today 
What is the best way for them to reach out and say hello to connect with you? They can send me an email, them at sensei.com. They can write on our website. They can connect with me on any social media platforms. Uh, and we'll be very happy to help anyone who needs help. Fantastic. Well, Arundam, thank you so much. Great conversation. A lot of good perspective, a lot of good insights, things that the dear listener can take away. Think about even further because that's the goal of these conversations. It's to transform the thinking because when you can transform the thinking, that's where you can transform the doing on the other side of the equation. Thank you so much. James, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. As always, and until next time, be well, do good and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.